Dr. Gary Chapman, in his book entitled The Five Languages of Love, if any of you read this book, it's a great book for married couples especially. It talks about the five ways that we as human beings tend to express our love, not only in the context of marriage, but outside in a relationship as well to those that we come in contact with on a regular basis, our family And our friends, the five languages of love are gifts, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, and quality time. He says that the way that you find out your love language is to ask yourself, what is the way that I tend to express my appreciation for someone? I worked for an evangelist a number of years ago, and I found that each and every week, he would give me something. It wasn't something large, but he'd say, hey, here's a tape. Here's a piece of literature. I really appreciate you, David. Every week, he's giving me something, and I found out that his love language was, was gifts. That can be an expensive love language, by the way. <laughs> In my home, it was not a home of verbal appreciation. It was a home in which my family would express their love for each other by doing things for each other. It was a very acts of service home. My mom would do things for me and I knew that that was the way that she communicated her love. Some individuals feel very loved when they are given words of affirmation. Or you ever find someone's complimenting you a lot? You look great today. By the way, I wanna stop and just express my appreciation for you or they give you a card. This is words of affirmation. The fifth language of love is quality time. You always know a quality time person because it's not about what you are doing. It's just about being together. Have you ever been around a person like that? It's not about the activity. It's about the togetherness, the connection, the time being together. In my dorm room when I was in high school, I went away to school There would be certain people that would come in my room and they would just sit on the chair. You know what I'm talking about? They wouldn't do anything and they would just want to hang out, just to be in your presence. For those of you that don't understand quality time people, it can be a little bit unnerving, but it's okay. They just want to be with you. I believe that God is a quality time God. Amen? Because time is the building block of any relationship. You need to spend time together. And God has placed a temple in time. Thank you for that song, Ariel. A temple in time that he has given us in our relationship with God to spend time with him. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, 2, and 3, we said in our Sabbath series, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. We said that when we look at the literary structure of Genesis 1 and 2, you have day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, and then it comes to day 7, and it's the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. God is emphasizing a point in the narrative of creation. Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And we said that in our series, God did something special on the seventh day. He blessed it. 
He sanctified it and he rested on the seventh day, a sanctuary in time. We said that when God gave the Ten Commandments, he wrote it in stone and he began the fourth commandment with the word what? Remember. God does not want us to forget about the Sabbath. He begins it with the word remember and he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Isn't that great? God gives us a mandatory day off. Praise the Lord. That every seven days, he says, you can have the day off. You don't have to work physically or spiritually. It's a reminder that we're not saved by works. Amen? We're saved by grace. And every Sabbath, it's a memorial that we cannot save ourselves. We can rest in God's salvation. We said that Jesus kept the Sabbath as well in the New Testament. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. We also said that the apostles kept the Sabbath. And we said that when we get to heaven, won't that be a glorious day? For as the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. Sabbath in Genesis, Sabbath at the heart of the Ten Commandments, Sabbath with Jesus, Sabbath with the apostles, Sabbath in heaven, and we said that the Sabbath is still a time that God wants to spend with us today. We've seen all throughout the Bible that God has the Sabbath from creation all the way up until the new earth. This is a poignant question for us as we continue in our series and conclude in our series on the Sabbath. How did the change happen? How is it that today the majority of the Christian world has lost sight of the biblical Sabbath? And I want to be very clear here at the beginning that I believe that there's people that love Jesus with all their hearts that are going to be in the kingdom that are from every denomination. Amen? This is about following truth. And the Bible says, walk in the light, lest darkness come upon you. So this is about what God is calling you to do as an individual. God may be revealing something else to your brother, your sister, or your mother, but God is calling you individually and as our personal individual part to walk in the light that God has given us. So this is an important part. When God says, look, I want to have a special time with you, it's important for us to know how this change happened in the Christian world. We go back to the year 300 A.D., It was a time in which the Roman Empire was struggling. The barbaric tribes were starting to come into the Roman territory, and Constantine decided that it was politically imperative for him to become a Christian. He was the first Roman Empire, or first Roman Emperor of the Roman Empire, to adopt Christianity as his personal religion. He marched his army through a river, And when they got to the other side, he said, by the way, you're baptized. You can imagine that when you have nominal Christians that don't understand what they're accepting coming into the church, that they would retain many of their pagan roots. And this is what happened. The Christian religion became diluted, and the Roman Empire was divided between these two days of worship. The Christians worshipped on Saturday and the pagans worshipped on Sunday. Here I have a quotation from the Bible Encyclopedia 561. 
Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest, Sunday was a name given by the heathens for the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. That's where we get the word Sunday. Constantine went on further to institute a civil law. This was the first Sunday law in history in the year 321. Constantine said, on the venerable day of the sun, which was Sunday, let the magistrates and the people residing in the cities rest and let all the shops be closed. This was important for him to unite his empire in having a common day of worship, and he started with a civil law saying that on the Sunday, the venerable day of the sun, that there was to be no shops opened on that day. The church would later follow to make the switch official in the religious community. This is from the Catholic World, page 809, March 1994. The sun was a foremost god within heathendom. There is truth, something royal, kingly about the sun, making a fit emblem of Jesus, the son of justice. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name, it shall remain consecrated and sanctified. This took place over a series of centuries. And have you ever heard of tradition before? You say your grandmother did it, your great-grandmother did it, your great-great-great-great-great-grandmother did it, and you don't understand where the roots came from. And this is what happened with the transfer of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. It happened in the year 300. Here we are in the year 2013. And this is the historical account of how the switch officially happened. And thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Balder became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. Catholic Encyclopedia, the church after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. A few other quotations, the authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath to Sunday. We'll have a few other quotations in more detail as we go on, not by the command of Christ, but by its own authority. In your study guide, you'll have a list of the first day texts, and what we're going to do today is look at every single first day text in the New Testament. Don't worry, we won't be here long. There's only eight texts eight first-day texts in the entire New Testament, and we're going to see if there is a transference or any hint of the first day of the week being the day that was to be kept holy as the Sabbath day. I made a mistake. The first one is not there, so you're going to have to write it. You have seven of them in your study guide. This first one is John chapter 20, verse 1. The rest are going to be there, but this one is not there. I apologize. John chapter 20, verse 1. This is the first first first-day text that we're going to look at here. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, and this tells us that Mary Magdalene went there. Now, there's no indication of a change or transference, just saying that Mary Magdalene went on the first day of the week. Let's move on to our second one. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled together for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Some people have said, some very sincere people have said that this proves that the disciples were keeping the first day of the week because they were gathered together on the first day of the week. Now, when you look at the text very carefully, what does it say? What was the reason why they were gathered together? 
for fear of the Jews. Why were they fearful? Jesus had just been crucified. They didn't know that Jesus was raised from the dead. Matter of fact, they heard that the tomb was empty, but they did not believe in the resurrection. So they were gathered together for fear of the Jews, and Jesus appeared to them. It would not be reasonable for us to think that they were gathered together to honor the resurrection that they did not believe in yet. Isn't that right? So this does not show us a transfer of the day. Rather, it shows us that they were just gathered together for fear of the Jews. We come to our next passage. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, Paul is speaking here, even so do ye on the first day of the week, every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. Some very sincere people have said that this passage proves that they were keeping the first day of the week because Paul had a Sunday school offering. Have you heard that before? All right, they had a Sunday school offering. If you look at the passage, it says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in, what's the key word there? In store. So if I'm laying by myself, by, by him, meaning me, in store, that means on the first day of the week, Paul says to lay aside your offering. In other words, you shouldn't wait till the end of the week to say, Oh, what do I have left over for God? You should lay it by yourself in store at the beginning of the week. Regardless, a first-day offering does not indicate the sanctity of that day. But here Paul is saying that at the beginning of the week, you should make God your highest priority in your finances. Amen? All right, let's move on. Here's another passage that is used for our first-day observance. It's Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 12. Paul is preaching, and an interesting thing happens. And upon the first day of the week, while the disciples came together to break bread... Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching. I don't feel too bad. This has happened to me before, by the way. So if this happened to Paul, I'm in good company, right? He sunk down with sleep and fell from the third loft and was taken up dead. This was a tragic event. Paul is preaching, and suddenly they hear a loud thud. Eutychus has fallen out the window, and Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and broken bread and eaten and talked for a long while, even till the break of day, so they departed, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Some individuals say that this passage refers to uh, the first, first day observance by Paul because he was preaching. Furthermore, if you look at the passage at the top, it says on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to do what? To break bread. So they said that they were breaking bread, indication of worship, indication of that day being sacred. I love the Bible because you just have to read the entire book of Acts and you'll notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, that they broke bread. What does it say? daily. So they broke bread every day. Now we have meetings at different parts of the week. We had a health, health meeting on a Thursday night. Uh, many times we have prayer meeting on different days, but that does not mean that that day is holy. They were breaking bread daily. Furthermore, another translation says that this meeting in Acts chapter 20 was actually on a Saturday night because the Jewish day began when? From evening to evening were they to celebrate their Sabbath. So this was a Saturday night meeting that went till midnight. We come to our next fast passage very quickly, Luke chapter 23, verse 56 through 24, verse 1. 
And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing spices, which they had prepared and certain others with them. Fascinating passage because it says they rested according to the commandment on the Sabbath day. And the first day was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We come to our next passage, Mark chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. There's no indication there of a transference as well. We come to our next passage, Mark chapter 16, verse 9. When Jesus was risen the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Many people say that the Sabbath was transferred when Jesus rose on the first day of the week. We're to keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. When you read the Bible, especially the book of Romans, it tells us that baptism is really a memorial of the resurrection, not a transference of a day. We come to our last passage. There's only eight, and we have not found any evidence so far. So maybe it's here, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. No reference here about a transfer of the day. So we've seen all eight passages and we find no indication. This is all of them, I promise you. All the first day texts in the entire New Testament. So how did this transfer happen? Here's an honest statement from Cardinal James Gibbon and I quoted it last week, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. All right? Here's another quotation from the Convert's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. I have one in my library. It has the imprimatur of the Roman Catholic Church. And you can hear these words, read these words, it says, which day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Here's the honest answer, because the Catholic Church has transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. I want to be very clear here that we're not talking about people, we're talking about a system, and we're talking about truth, and God has said, I want to be in a day with you on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, and here we're seeing that there has been a transference recorded in history. Now, turn to the back of your study guide that you have there in your bulletin. I want to note some of the mainline churches, not just Catholics that are openly saying that the day has been transferred, but we have our mainline churches as well. You can see the top one I'm going to read. It's the Baptist Church. Let's read the Baptist one from the Baptist Manual. There was and is a command to keep the Sabbath day, But that Sabbath day was not Sunday. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh day to the first day of the week. Where can the record of such a transaction be found? Not in the New Testament. Absolutely not. There is no scriptural evidence for the change of the Sabbath institution from the seventh to the first day of the week. We have the Christian, the non-denominational Christian. There was never a change of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. There is not in any place in the Bible any intimation of such a change. We have the Church of Christ. 
I do not believe that the Lord's day came in the room of the Jewish Sabbath, or that the Sabbath was changed from the seventh to the first day. The Congregationalist, the current notion that Christ and his apostles authoritatively substituted the first day for the seventh is absolutely without authority in the New Testament. The Episcopalian, is there any command in the New Testament to change the day of the weekly rest from Saturday to Sunday? The answer, none. Methodist, take the matter of Sunday. There is no passage telling Christians to keep that day or to transfer the Jewish Sabbath to that day. The Lutheran, the observance of the Lord's Day, Sunday, is founded not on any command of God, but on the authority of the church. The Presbyterian, the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, is not in scriptures and was not by the primitive church called the Sabbath. There you have it. Mainline denominations, Catholics, Christian, Presbyterian, telling us that there is no passage in Scripture telling us of the transference of Saturday to Sunday. We read on the Catholic Mirror, September 23, 1894, the Catholic Church for over 1,000 years before the existence of a Protestant by virtue of her divine mission changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. I love this quotation from John O'Brien. He's a Catholic priest, and I want you to listen to the nuances of his logic here. He's being very direct and very clear. He says, but since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Christians who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? His reasoning goes something like this. All of you non-Catholics out there, Protestants, isn't it curious that you're worshiping on Sunday when there's no passage in Scripture that supports that day? You uh, say that you stand on the Bible and the Bible alone. He says that's a very curious statement. Yes, of course, it is inconsistency. He says that's inconsistent. But this change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born, and by that time, the custom was universally observed. They have continued the custom even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text from the Bible. He goes on. That observance, Sunday observance, remains as a reminder. Listen to these words. That observance remains as a reminder of the mother church from which the non-Catholic sects broke away. In other words, he's saying that when Protestants keep Sunday, they are validating the authority of the mother church because it's based not upon scripture, but upon the authority of the church. That observance remains as a reminder of the mother church from which the non-Catholic sex broke away like a boy running away from home, but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. This is not me. This is a Catholic priest, John O'Brien. We move on. Reverend Stephen Keenan's doctrinal catechism. Question, have you any other way of proving that the church has the power to institute festivals of precept? Answer, had she not such a power, she could not have done that which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, 
the seventh day a week, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. Now, this has been a heavy topic here today. And really, some people say it's just a day. It really comes down to authority, doesn't it? Who is behind the day? The choice really is between the Bible, Jesus, God's law, God's instruction, and God's way, and tradition, religious leaders, man's dogma, human teachings, and man's way. And as we noted earlier that God's love language is quality time, and he said, I have created a temple in time. Every seven days, on the seventh day, I have infused my holiness. I want to spend time with you. Every Sunday, my wife and I, from 6 p.m. to about 9 p.m., we have set aside a date night. We turn off our phones. We don't check our email. And in our marriage, it's a time that we can spend quality time together. Amen? It's important. We guard that time. I'm very careful not to schedule anything during that time. It's important. Here God has said, on the seventh day, I want to meet with you. I want to commune with you. It's a relational point in time in which God wants to meet with us. And we have a decision, a response, whether we desire to meet with him. I pray that this is our response. Joshua 24, verse 15 Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your desire here today? To say, Lord, by the grace of God, I want to meet with you. Is that your desire? I want to invite you to raise your hands with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that you've given to us the blessed Sabbath. Lord, I thank you that it's not a day of restrictions, it's not a day of gloom, it's not a day of mourning, it's a day of joy, a day of relational communion with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we thank you that you have made this time in which to connect with us as our creator and our redeemer. We also recognize that in the great controversy between good and evil, that for every genuine, there is a counterfeit. And that the devil hates the Sabbath because it reminds us of where we came from. We pray that you would help us to meet with you every Sabbath. Not because we have to, but because of a love response of what you have done for each one of us. Bless and keep us to that end, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.